This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Today, Knowledge at Wharton welcomes Richard Marston, a Wharton finance professor who's going to talk to us about his new book, Investing for a Lifetime Managing Wealth for the New Normal. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Um, the book has made a bit of a splash. It's got a really good review uh, in the New York Times, uh, which, as you mentioned, has a, an appropriate headline, It's Worse Than You Think. That's right. Um, the book is about retirement for the most part. Uh, so it's a, a, a subset of personal investing, and one would have thought there wasn't that much new under the sun in personal investing, but you come along and, uh, and, and show that's not the case. So um, let's just start with the title where you talk about the new normal, and in what way do you mean that new normal? Well, actually, um, it's bad enough if we're in the old normal of normal returns that we've seen over the last 60 or 90 years. But Bill Gross of PIMCO came up with this idea of the new normal. And in a sense, it's pretty scary because he's saying that uh, because the industrial countries have slowed in growth, uh, we're not going to earn the same returns on equity that we have in the past. And uh, that means it's going to be harder to save enough for retirement. And then once we're in retirement, we not, might not be able to spend as much as we have in the past. So it's a little scary. Now, there's uh, some folks out Everyone's aware that, that returns are down, wh whether it's your money market, whatever it is. People complain all the time about how low interest rates are if you put your money in the bank and, and so forth. But um, there's, uh, there's a thought that says, well, you know, inflation's also low, so isn't it just sort of relatively speaking uh, the same arrangement that, that used to be the case? But you're saying that's not the case. Well, Bill Gross actually talked about equities, not uh, stocks rather than bonds. But in my book, I actually talk about the possibility of a new normal for bonds as well. And the reason for that is, uh, I think, pretty obvious to most observers that we've been through a wonderful bull market for bonds where interest rates have come down for the last 30 years. And now we're at the end. Um, we don't know whether the, the absolute end is going to be now or six months from now or 15 months from now, but we do know that uh, we're near the bottom of the interest rate cycle and inevitably the interest rates are so low they have to go up. They have to go up. Um, the 10-year yield is at 2.5%. The inflation rate has recently been at 2% uh, or close to 2%. So that means we're earning virtually nothing on our bonds. And, and that's not going to go on. Uh, there has to be some increase in interest rates over the next five years. And that's going to hurt our returns because as interest rates rise, bond prices fall, and uh, we don't get the returns that we had in the past. So I think maybe the key point um, in the book is that not only aren't people saving enough, there's been talk of that before, but that they don't even realize how far away they are from saving enough. And That's right, the savings goal. What yeah. I talk about the savings goal in the book, and um, the discussion of savings is really aimed at people in their 20s and 30s and 40s rather than people who are near retirement because you have to think about the goal that you need uh, for retirement. And the way to think about retirement is uh, when I retire, I want to have the same standard of living that I've had during my working years. And how do you achieve it? Well, a few years ago, one of the mutual fund companies said, well, there's a rule of thumb. You need to save eight times your income. When I read the report, I was a little surprised because it seemed too low. That means that if you're used to 
earning $100,000 a year, that means you have to save $800,000 to retire. That seemed too low to me, so what I did is I formulated a section of the book on savings goals. How much do you have to save? And the long and short of it is um, it's a lot more than eight times income if you have normal income. And if you have high income, because Social Security becomes less important as your income goes from 100000 to 200000 to 300000 um, you have to save even more. And uh, for somebody who has worked all his or her life and is single and retires and is used to earning around $100,000 a year, you actually have to save close to 15 times your income. So that's a big difference between eight times what you're saying one, one, of, the, one of the investment companies have been recommending. Now, um, does that number take into account that some folks will have other income streams? Social Security, of course, comes to mind for most, and, and there may be other things that could lower that a little bit, perhaps? It does not take into account other income. If you're lucky enough to have one of these old-style pensions, then you won't have to save as much. But um, the majority of Americans in the private sector now only have 401ks and other um, pensions that, that where they save the money themselves. And uh, for those people, um, that calculation takes into account Social Security. But I'm assuming that the family doesn't have other pensions available. And that's the reality for an awful lot of people in the private sector. So earning 100000 you need to save roughly 15 times that income, have that in savings when you retire if you want to maintain that level of income. That's right. Even though you might have 25000 or something like that coming in through Social Security. Or that's right. Or between, say, twenty. It, it turns 000. out that if somebody's earned about $100,000 a year and retires in 2013, they actually start off with about a $26,000 Social Security payment. Now, I should mention that if you're married and um, there's a significant spousal benefit, the uh, Social Security payment could go up and your savings goal could go down. But even for a married couple getting the maximum Social Security payment, who's earned $100,000 in their peak years, you actually have to save over 11 and a half times your income in order to retire and have the same kind of standard of living you had during your working years. That's a best case scenario, right? That's a there. best case scenario. But if you're used to a higher level of income, um, you have to save more. So it, it makes it even more difficult. Um, you talk about savings goals, and, and, and what's the best way to set these goals? How do people do this? They've got education for children to save for. They've got lots of other expenses. Um, how, how, do you, how do you accomplish that? What percentage of your income should you be saving well, to reach those multiples? Generally speaking, if you're in the $100,000 range in income, you have to save something like 15% of your income, and that's before any taxes. Um, how do you possibly do that? I think the easiest way you can get a lot of the way to that goal is to uh, fully participate in your 401k program at, at work. The defined contribution plans in America that have developed over the last 30 or 40 years are a tremendous boon to savings. Um, what employees should be doing is joining as soon as possible um, and contributing as much as possible. At the very least, you have to contribute enough to get your full company match because in a, many cases, the company will match at least partially your, your contributions. Then, if possible, um, save up to the, the maximum. In some cases, it's 15%. It's even a uh, higher number for people 
over um, in their 50s and so on. Um, take advantage of that program. It makes such a difference in terms of, because that's automatic. Otherwise, a lot of Americans treat the savings as a residual. What they do is they do their mandatory spending, uh, for example, on mortgages, and then they do the discretionary spending, and then whatever's left over is savings. Um, it's much more difficult to do that savings. It's much easier to do it automatically within a 401k plan. So have it taken out, have it withdrawn from your check each, each paycheck uh, as an automatic thing. That's exactly and right. So does that mean, yeah. for example, um, of course, attitudes about housing have changed a lot too. It used to be buy as much house as you can because it's an investment. Now after houses, house prices have fallen, people are no longer so sanguine about the housing market. But does that mean you're really better off buying something less of a house than you might be able to afford and putting that other money into savings rather than thinking of the house as a, as a savings vehicle? Um, actually, you're right, but um, I can e even show that, and I have a chapter on this. Even if you sold your house at the peak of the market, for the average American, in fact, I do the case of an American lucky enough to live in California with their gloriously rising housing prices. Um, it's true even in California that if you sold your house in 2006, having held it since the late 1970s, you would have been better off buying half the house and putting it in a portfolio. You would have earned a higher return. Housing is a terrible investment in the long run for Americans. And you should not buy more house than you really need for your, for your comfort and your enjoyment. That's a really great point. And I'll, I, I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that. Um, so uh, what about the, you, you mentioned another concept about the rate of savings. Could you tell us about that? Well, I figured that 15% for someone of, of uh, ordinary income, 15%, if you start saving early enough, will be sufficient to generate enough savings by the time we retire. Now, it's important to mention that it makes a tremendous difference whether you start saving in your 20s or 30s. In fact, I compare the situation for somebody starting at 26 as opposed to 36. Of course, to be honest, there are many Americans who can't start saving in their 20s for retirement because they have uh, university loans. Um, they have um, the need to build up sufficient funds to be able to afford a mortgage, to buy into housing, and so on. So there are a lot of goals for savings, particularly people who are younger. But nonetheless, it's so important to try to start saving earlier on. You said at the outset that this book is about retirement, but it's really one-third of it is about the savings that have to be done by younger people. The middle third is about investing wisely, and it's nothing complicated. I try to make investing as simple as possible. And then the last third is about retirement. But what I say in the book is investing is easy. What's difficult is the, re is the savings and knowing when to retire and knowing how to actually spend in retirement. Those are the tough things. Why is investing easy? Why do, why do investing is easy because as far as I'm concerned, all you need to do is to Choose an appropriate portfolio, and there are lots of financial advisors who can help you with that. And then you have to have the good sense to leave it alone. That means that you're choosing a portfolio in your 30s that is relatively aggressive to try to pick up the uh, gains from equity, uh, the gains from real estate, and so on. And then as you get older and closer to retirement, what you do is you reduce your risk. This is relatively straightforward. It's um, 
In fact, some mutual fund companies actually give you what are called target date retirement funds, where what you do is you decide when you think you'll be retiring. Let's say you're 35 and you think you'll retire in 30 years. You buy a fund that's appropriate for that, and then you just leave it alone. And before you know it, you're ready for retirement and you've, you've done sensible investing. That is the easy part. But there's one caveat. If you start to play games with that portfolio, you can run into serious problems. And I particularly mention this because we just went through a financial crisis where Americans um, were frightened. I mean, stocks went down by more than 50 percent. And what some Americans did is they panicked and they pulled out of the market, uh, planning to get back into the market as soon as things look better. Well, now we're five years into a rally and an awful lot of Americans never got back into the market. Don't play games with it. And in the, in the book, what I do as a calculation is I ask the question, suppose that you are unlucky enough to have retired in October 2007 at the peak of the market. So the market's peaking and let's say you've saved a million dollars and ask the question, what would have happened if um, you just stuck with your portfolio? Well, through the worst financial crisis since the 1930s, the portfolio fell very sharply during the crisis. But if you left it alone, by the end of 2013, you would have been intact with almost exactly the same amount you started with. On the other hand, if you had panicked, and in my book, I consider the possibility of panicking in the spring of 2009. Now, let me remind you what to happen. In September 2008, Lehman Brothers failed. We fell into a deep crisis. By March 2009, we know the market reached the bottom and started to rise. Suppose in the spring of 2009, you pulled out. Well, that million dollars today would be scarcely more than $600,000 because you shifted out of your portfolio and tried to beat the market. For the rest of your life, if you're in that situation, your retirement will be diminished by that amount, by over 40%, because you tried to be smarter than the market. Just leave the portfolio alone, choose a good one, seek advice from financial advisors to help you with that, and then just leave it alone. So I it's think that, easy. I think there's a saying I've heard, which is um, in a crisis like that, you, you haven't really suffered any losses until you sell. Exactly. So stick yep. with it. Uh, and you talked about age of retirement and that, that idea of, of, of timing it correctly. Uh, tell us what's a good way to approach that. Well, think we, about it. we know the general rule is that if you're able to stay re uh, working until your full retirement age, it's currently 66 for people who are about to retire. If you do that, rather than retire at 62, your Social Security benefits are actually 25% lower if you retire at 62. So that's the first decision you have to make. And you know, you have to be careful about this because not all Americans can work past 62. Not all Americans have their um, jobs past 62. So it depends upon what industry you're in and what circumstances you have. But to the extent that you can possibly wait another four years, it makes tremendous difference in two ways. First of all, the Social Security payment is much higher, but also you have four more years of savings. And those are years when you can save a lot of money because for most families, college educations are already paid for. Um, you have a lot of discretionary income at that point relative to the past, and you can save a lot. But in addition, the money that you already had by the time you're 62 can accumulate further before you retire. So there's a double bonus. 
Social Security is higher, and your savings are definitely going to be significantly higher if you wait an extra four years. Uh, another question that people sometimes have, especially people getting close to retirement now, is if I don't retire at 66, then each year I believe that their Social Security payment will increase by a certain amount. It might be even 8%. That's yeah. a heck of a return if you keep working. Um, your, go your Social Security payment, assuming you're not already at the top limit, will will increase 8%. And then if you, you know, in the second year after 66, it would go up, I believe, another 8%. Um, so that's a decision for people depending on their health. There's many factors, obviously, that go into that. But uh, what, what can you tell us There's about that? There's a tremendous that? bonus if you yeah. were able to work until 70. As you say, you get a uh, bump up by about 8% per year. I don't think you have to um, wait till 70 to get each of those increments. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's, Every year, yeah. it's an extra 8%. And think of, of what the Social Security is. It's a an annuity payment, which is guaranteed by the government, and it's indexed to inflation. So it's almost too good to be true. Uh, if you're able to wait those extra years, um, you can have an enhanced payment for the rest of your life that keeps pace with inflation. It's a wonderful program. It's a wonderful program. A lot of, um, of Americans uh, um, think that it's, it's not that important to retirement. When you do the numbers, for somebody earning as much as $100,000 or even $200,000, Social Security is a significant contribution to retirement, and it's indexed to inflation. One last question, something I've always wondered about, especially yeah. younger viewers might be interested in this. So yeah. you advise people to start saving as young as you can in your 20s, your first job out of college, open that 401k, start putting something in. Um, <clears throat> when I've looked at the charts, something really interesting happens when you do that, when you, yeah. when you start really young. So through the miracle of compound interest, you watch your, your money multiply. Of course you're adding, but, you, yeah. but nevertheless, you're, you're gaining uh, interest or dividends or whatever it may be. But then somewhere along the line, I don't know if it's year 30 or something, all of a sudden this line that's going like suddenly goes like this. What, that, what, what that's happens? the magic of compounding. It's right, right, but it it's makes, a, but it's a, it's not it's linear, not linear, but it's a sort of yeah. a slope like this, and then suddenly it just shoots into the stratosphere. Yeah. It's it, it's amazing, and I do, I do that experiment in the book. I ask, what if you start at twenty six or thirty one or thirty six? It makes a tremendous difference, and you know, even if you don't contribute the maximum in your twenties you're making progress towards that goal. And remember that that money is going to be compounding for 40 years rather than 30 years. So it makes a tremendous difference. So uh, for um, listeners in their 20s, if you can start doing the contributions, that will make a difference later on. And uh, boy, we, we have a long time to save, um, but later on there are other obligations. There's children, there's education, there's paying the mortgage and so on. Uh, try to start early, as early as possible. Makes a difference. And there's always worrying about whether you'll outlive your money. That's right. So, well, thanks very much for joining us. It's been well, thank very you, enlightening. Yeah. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.